Welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. I'm your co-host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, the girlfriend, Cindy. Welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast, the podcast where we watch scary movies and a veteran and a virgin viewer talk about what they saw. Boo. Hey, I'm Cindy. That's the other Josh. voice you hear, the deeper ones, Josh. Yeah, that wasn't me a minute ago. That was a ghost. Ooh. Boo. Oh, that was you. There's a ghost in here. Well, all right. I- I'm told that this will be dropping on Father's Day? No. no? When does this one drop? This, this is the last of June. No. We're recording early. It's COVID craziness, COVID brain. We are 90 days in. So, you are back to work. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I am hold not. my tongue. Uh, yeah, this is the last week of June. This is Father's Day was last week. We just did... The Train to Busan. Oh, yeah. Train to Busan was what we dropped for Father's Day. Yes. Because we wanted to celebrate a good dad. Like a, a ter- uh, uh, kind of absent dad, but not like a it was it, intentionally we'll talk, awful, murderous dad. Yeah. For Father's Day. Honestly, it would have been a hilarious flex if you had chosen frailty for Father's Day. <laughs> Like, looking back, that's kind of a missed opportunity. Okay. Anywho. Make yourself. Uh, we're going to end the month with? With a movie that helped inspire the first movie of the month, Frailty. Okay. With The Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter. Okay, when so, did it come out? This movie was released November 24th, 1955. Okay. It's directed by Charles Lawton. It's the only film Charles Lawton ever directed. He directed a lot of stage. He's known as Gracchus and Spartacus. Okay. As Bly on Mutiny on the Bounty. He worked with Hitchcock by starring in Jamaica Inn and The Paradigm Case. He was a pretty big actor in the 40s, the 50s, and the And he... I want to say the 40s and the 50s. Directed this movie. He directed this movie. This is his only film directing credit ever, and we will find out why after we watch the film. Well, in 1955, you and I were but a glimmer in our parents' eye. Your Uh, parents weren't even born yet, were they? No, I don't think so. Yeah, my parents were... Maybe my dad had just been 12, and I don't know. My parents were alive. So this movie is written by James Agee. Okay, is that... He's a Pulitzer Prize winning author. Okay. Who also wrote the screenplay for The African Queen. Oh. It was based on a novel by Davis Grubb, who wrote the novel based on the Lonely Hearts Killer. Again, we'll talk more about that. Okay, on the back half. Afterwards. All right. He is from Moundsville, West Virginia. Hey, that's here. This film, it takes place in Moundsville, West Virginia. Hey, that's here. Well, not Moundsville, Moundsville but West Virginia and is. Parkersburg, West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, this movie stars... Are you ready for this? I'm ready. This movie stars Robert Mitchum. Oh, yes! As Harry Powell. Mitchum. You know him from Out of the Past. You know him from the movie Mitchell. Jacques Tur... No, that's Joe <laughs> Baker. Dang it. <laughs> you always mistake old tough guy white actors for Joe Baker. Yep. And Joe Baker is not near he's like and 16th is cool as, I guess uh, I'm racist against old white actors Robert Mitchum what was I saying oh uh, Out of the Past he, I knew which Robert was directed Mitchum's. by Jacques Turner who did Cat People and I Walked with a Cat Zombie Cat People he also is in the original Cape Fear The Yakuza uh, I knew him as a child from Scrooge to where he was the TV executive that wanted Bill Murray to put mice in, in the, uh, the, the television show because they thought cats would be watching TV in the near future. Oh. Remember he was the TV executive. I have not seen that movie home. in a very long, 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 long time. So. <laughs> so Robert Mitchum. Okay. Our other person of note in this movie. Is. Shelley Winters. Oh, I like Shelley Winters. She plays Willa Harper. She's, you know, from the Poseidon Adventure mm-hmm. and Lolita. Also, Lillian Gish. Who's that? That name sounds She familiar. plays Rachel Cooper. Uh, so, Lillian Gish starred in the, sh- the first short film that D.W. Griffith ever did called An Unseen Enemy. An Unseen Enemy. In 1912. She would go on to star in Birth of a Nation and Intolerance. Got it. And Lillian Gish started with the movies. Like, she's in the first films, Mm -hmm. right? Silent film lady, yeah. Yeah. And then she eventually did her last movie in the 80s. Oh. She died on February 27th, 1993 at 99 years old. 
Good honor. And by all accounts, Lillian Gish was like a super rad lady who made a lot of headway for women nice. in Hollywood. Lillian Gish. So we definitely want to start her. <laughs> okay, who else? James Gleason, who's Uncle Bertie Steptoe. He was an arsenic and old lace. He was born May 23rd, 1882, and he fought in the Spanish-American War <laughs> and World War One. Wow. So there you go. And it's then an old-ass movie, friend. To Peter Graves as Ben Harper. Okay. A young Peter from Graves. From Stalag 17, Jim Phelps in Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. the captain in Airplane. <laughs> that's his best role. That's how I know him. <laughs> like, listing this movie, I was like, nope, that's not what I know him from. And this movie also stars Billy Chapin and uh, Sally Jane Brush, who play the children lead. Uh, okay. The little girl is still alive. Uh, Does she do the con it? circuit no, at all? No. Oh. Yeah. This, Are we ready for the this poster? Is, this is all we're, we got. I got trivia out the ass. Oh. Uh oh. Mitchum has gone on record as saying this is his favorite film, and Charles Lawton was his favorite director. Oh, okay. However. However, we're gonna get that in the his back. His behavior half. on set would say otherwise. Not great. Would say otherwise. Uh, Shelley Winters says, got on record as saying that this was her most thoughtful and reserved performance that she ever gave. Wow. She was pretty proud of it. Was this like a big deal movie? No. Not when it came out. It it did not do great when it came out. And then now, we'll talk about that in a okay, second. Well- uh, Charles Lawton describes this film as a, quote, nightmare sort of mother goose tale. <laughs> That's right? very oddly specific. <laughs> It, it was added to the National Film Registry in 1992 for being culturally, his, culturally, historically, and aesthetically pleasing or aesthetically significant. It's in the Criterion Collection at spine number 541. It's on Roger Ebert's Great Movies list. The name, like, it's under Spy 41. What do you mean? Spine number. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought you said Spy. Like, it had a different title. No, sorry. 541. Got so, it. So, if you're looking at the criteria, they just... They're over a thousand. Mm-hmm. Godzilla, that big Godzilla box set was a thousand. So this was five five forty one out of a thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was shot in Los Angeles with some shots being done in Moundsville, West Virginia. That's awesome. And mostly the prison. So that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Mitchum, despite saying this is like my favorite movie I've ever been in, and Charles Lawton was my favorite After director I ever worked in worked with. He showed up one day to set drunk. Okay. And the producer of the film, Paul Gregory, told him he was in no condition to work. Like, hey, buddy, you're you gotta go. You're too drunk. You're not Cary Grant Um, drunk. Mitchum took umbrage with this and walked over to Gregory's Cadillac and opened the front door and pissed on the front seat. Oh, (laughs) well, that's one way to get your point across. So that's the lead of this movie. Wow. And the kind of dude he was, like. Robert, wow. I forget the, I forget what movie they were going to do, but Robert Mitchum, essentially at the age of like 14 or 15, I think he was from like Connecticut, uh-huh. just rode the rails and ended up on a chain gang in like Louisiana <laughs> and escaped. <laughs> wow. At like 16, okay. escaped and then rode a train out of Louisiana. So I, I forget the movie they were going to do. He, had, he shot a movie in Louisiana years later, but, but I think it was Universal had to call the state of like the governor and have that expunged from because his if he would have went down there to shoot, he would have had to have served out his time on the chain gang from when he was like 15 or 16. That's hilarious. That's Robert Mitchum. Wow. What a life. He's one of those dudes that like I like, but also... Man, he lived. He's kind of a dick, but also... <laughs> you know those people yeah. like, man, you're kind of a dick, but I really like your movies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so, 1955. That's crazy. Tell me about life in 1955. Do you have any so, of that? So, I have a shitload. Okay. What I was, was doing, life like? I was doing research for what happened in 1955, and, spoiler alert, a fucking lot happened in 1955. It sounds, yeah. So. So, my mom was nine. Yeah. That's how old she was. So, when your mom was nine, in, in, in the year of our Lord, 1955, mm-hmm. the first ICBM uh, missiles armed with nuclear warheads were planned by the Pentagon. So they're like, let's Ooh. build intercontinental missiles with warheads on them. Let's do that. So that that's how the year started. Yay. Uh, 60,000 non-white residents of Johannesburg uh, were forcibly evicted uh, 
okay. In South Africa. Yeah. Due to apartheid being a thing. Yeah, it was a thing uh, until we were nine. Yeah. It partially got solved by Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, right, right. When Danny Glover shot the ambassador of South Africa <laughs> in the head. He was like, right, I have obviously. a disobeyed community. And Danny Glover shoots him in the head and he's like, it's been revoked. Boom. And then it was fine after that. <laughs> Cool. Good to know. Lethal Weapon 2. What else happened in 55? Kind of a problematic movie. Eisenhower sends the first advisors to Vietnam to aid the French. Oh, God. That's not a good thing either. Are you ready for this bit of information? Yes. Claudette Colvin. You ever heard of Claudette Colvin? Mm, No. Not many people have. If you get anything out of this podcast, listeners, I say hopefully there's there's more than one. There are more than one. Um, It's this. So Claudette Colvin Colvin. was a 15-year-old black girl who refused to give her seat up on a public bus to a white woman in Montgomery, Alabama, nine months before Rosa Parks. She was not. I do know that. And I know how. Yeah. So so. the reason we've not heard of her is she was 15, pregnant, and unmarried, so they did not want to make her the face well, of the movement. And by they, we mean what would become the ACLU as they tried to plan yeah. how to go about. Because the civil rights movement at the time was as much a PR campaign as it is now. And, I mean, But she was part of the lawsuit yes, that bring determined about, that the busing practices correct. in Montgomery were illegal. And got them stopped the following year. I did know about that. But that happened in 1955. So if you're following along, I said nine months later, mm-hmm. so spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Rosa Parks 2 in a minute. Okay. Um, <laughs> the Salk polio vaccine receives approval Ooh, from yes. the FDA. Yes. A lot of shit happened in 1955. My mom has a, like a side of a silver dollar. There's a mark yeah. from that. Ray Kroc opens his first McDonald's. I want that for dinner. The first appearance of Kermit the Frog happened in 1955. In a commercial for dog food. The first Lockheed U-2 spy plane flies. Cool. Emmett Till is lynched and shot for allegedly grabbing and threatening a white woman in Money, Mississippi. Who would later on her deathbed say that it never happened. Yep. His white murderers were acquitted by an all-white jury. The woman would later go on to say that they were absolutely the ones who did that. So there's a lot of similarities. Before she died, when she had nothing to lose, when the only reason you tell the truth is because you're about to die, she said, that boy did nothing. Those men killed him for no reason. That is a fact. They killed him for a reason. Oh, well, yeah. And that reason was he was black. Uh, Because America. I can't. (laughs) So, yeah. Little Richard records Tutti Frutti. Hell yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. He just recently passed. He did. People James don't give him Dean, enough credit. James Dean's killed in a car crash on September 30th. Lord of knows we all know about that. The Vietnam War officially begins Jesus. that year. Not with America. like No, I know. Between the French and indigenous factions. On November 5th of that year, uh, racial segregation is outlawed on trains and buses in interstate commerce. So... <sighs> Greyhound and whatnot from state to state, it's illegal. But still within states, totally fine. Yeah, totally, totally okay. Um, and on December 1st, Rosa Parks refuses to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, leading to the bus boycott that we all know. Mm-hmm. And Holy we're still shit. working on it. 1955. Yeah. There's a lot. You know, as I was doing this, I couldn't help but being struck by the similarities between... Um, 1955 and 2020 Mm -hmm. uh, take away a pandemic, but there's... It's all still the same. Emmett Till, Rosa Parks, Claudette Colvin. Yeah. It's still the same. Yeah. We've we've gone forward, but not forward. Here's what I'll say is that those three names, we are currently living through what I hope will be the resolution of the the discriminate this is the systematic discrimination of people of color in this country that started in 1955 but it, when it gets violent um which what well, it will and what has they say oh you know peaceful protest but those names were all peaceful and it didn't work and Emmett Till I mean he didn't do anything he was just a 
Yeah. A teenage Chicago kid and hanging out with his family. Let me read you a list of, I just pulled a couple of people that were born that year. Yeah. And I want you, as I read these names, to think that Rosa Parks, which seems like such a long ago figure to people, and Claudette Colvin yeah. and Emmett Till. It was the, my mom was nine. Yeah. Let me read you these people that were born that year and just know that the year that Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. Eddie Van Halen, Jeff Daniels, Bruce Willis, Reba McIntyre, Bill Paxton, Chow Yun-Fat, Willem Dafoe, and Bill Nye were born, this shit was going yep. down. It's not long ago forgotten history. Nope. It's my, it, and that's the thing that um, I've been real proud of my mom as she has uh, started to learn about um, her, what tried, working to unlearn some of the things. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. She's from, again, she was nine in 1955. So she was part of the generation that believed what the daughters, the American, with the daughters of the Confederacy put out as how the Civil War went. And she believed in, you, you know, it was just the way it was. I mean, hell, they still taught in schools then that Christopher Columbus discovered America. Like, you know, whatever. And she has done a lot to kind of relearn things. But I always point that out to my students. I'm like, guys, we're not talking about, oh, this happened 100 years ago. Like, my mom, like one generation, not grandma, like one generation back. She lived through this. And she absolutely, I mean, she absolutely remembers, you know, when schools were desegregated. She remembered, like, it wasn't as big a deal up north. I mean, obviously it was. But don't get me wrong, there it absolutely was, but it wasn't as that's protested a, against. That's a whole separate conversation because we've kind of discovered that we went into the South and we forced them to like include and be more inclusive and like in segregation. Mm-hmm. But we didn't do it in the North because we just assume it's not happening because yeah. we were on the right side of the Civil War. But it very much was happening in New yes, York. Yes, it was. Or New, not New York, but in the North. And... So there's this huge, like, there's still a lot of pockets mm-hmm. of, like... Oh, God, yeah. Hard in my hometown. disparity yes. in, the, in the, quote, north. 100% of the people that I grew up with could tell you. Like, anybody who had my zip code knew where the, the, the black people lived. You know what I mean? Like, that section of town. There was still um, the roller skating rink. The roller skating rink that I worked at and volunteered you know volunteered worked for and practiced and went went all the time it was totally desegregated i mean i grew up in the 80s and 90s however wednesday night they were open wednesday night uh, thursday night friday night no i'm sorry wednesday night friday night saturday sunday night right and sunday night was organ music so it's typically the older crowd but everybody kind of just knew that saturday night was black people night because it that was during segregation. That was when the people of color were allowed to go skating. And so in my lifetime, I was not allowed to go skating sometimes on Saturday night because it was black people night. There wouldn't be a lot of black people there because that's when they go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can go to Atlantic City and there's you can go visit Chicken Bone Beach. It was the section of beach that people of color were allowed to use. And they, it was renamed Chicken Bone Beach for a very racist reason, but it's it is a historical marker now. But like that's my lifetime. I was not allowed to go to uh, a dance with someone of color. Yeah, it, this shit is real. This is insanely real, and it's 1955 to 2020, and not a whole lot has changed. We've moved forward, just not forward enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well. We've made some token <laughs> concessions, but. Like you take an entire group of people, you completely take away any culture that they have, you de-educate them for hundreds of years, and then you just go, all right, we're done with you. And then you make it. Like from a, from a domestic violence point of view, right? Like <laughs> you you can't just leave a victim. <laughs> like, you, you can't just. Figure well, it out, not just, and you, then just continually persecute but against them. You also them. criminalize every activity. everything. Like Brianna Taylor was killed sleeping, like she was sleeping in her bed. I know. And they just kicked in the door and shot her. I know. And it really it, it bothers me it. out that like in the whole discussion, her uh, killers are still walking free. And they're they're 
she's starting to be left out of the conversation, I feel mm-hmm. like. And it's a, I feel like that is women of color, um, whether that color is dark as dark as African-American or as light as Native American, women of color are seen as an insignificant statistic in this country, period. And that's coming from, I'm just a school teacher. And the thing is, like, when the country and needs, like, absolutely needs someone to step up and do right and save it. We it, have the women. orange oligarch. It, I mean, it's, you look oh, at, like, yes, black women. what happened in with Doug Jones winning yeah. that, that seat in Alabama. Uh-huh. That was black women in droves coming out and voting look at and 19- making that happen. 1955, Emmett Till's mother famously open open casket invited time magazine in and you know let them see what they did to my baby like that is a famous quote by that woman again black woman and that's something again my mom and i talk all the time about is when people are like oh i stand for protesters but not with looters i'm like no i i stand with looters 100 percent. if somebody if my child was ever hurt and something an injustice was done on this scale i would burn the world like i i would burn absolutely i would burn my house down so i could never go back again so i would keep myself focused i would burn every like yes i would well there's also the the idea of in a society that values things over people yes the ultimate yes. act of fuck you yeah. in a hyper capitalist society is I'm just going to take things. I was really, um, my boy's father, They my, my boys were with their father when um, everything started, when George Floyd was killed. And I was very happy when my son kind of said, yeah, dad and I talked about it. And he said, I- I'm going to get it wrong. But he, his dad told him whenever anybody says, oh, it's a shame that Target burned down because George Floyd, we always killed. You're supposed to flip it and say, oh, it's a shame George Floyd was like, or does that make sense? I'm trying to remember it. You have to flip it and that it should be like, why did he have, like he died. That's more important than the target burning. Like they it, flip it. Your priority should be more yeah. on that man died. Well, like I who told, cares what, who burns? Like, I told you fix when, this. when this whole thing started and that whole narrative started coming out that when I first learned how to drive, my dad told me something that always stuck with me, which is. Things can be replaced. You can't replace people. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure Target's got insurance. And I'm sure that a lot of these businesses will come out of this. They're probably... The CEO of Target has said, don't worry about it. By Corona than they were by a single store being burned. The the CEO Mm. of Target came out and said that, you know, they'll rebuild and then they're fine. Black Lives Matter. That's the important thing. You know what I mean? Like, people don't pay attention to that. But for nearly are, yeah, for nearly nine minutes, we watch someone be murdered slowly, and uh, I think we no can more. never stop talking about it. No we can more. never stop talking about it. Sorry. Yeah, we could stop banging on the table. We though. can never stop talking about it because we stopped talking about Emmett Till. We stopped talking about the literal <laughs> hundreds of people of color who've been lynched in this country, and we'll get into the thousands when we say that are just killed because of hate crimes. We just stopped talking about them. And that's not okay anymore. That's not okay anymore. And whether the internet is the reason that we don't forget or whatever, like it's time. Like you said, we made a little inch forward. It's time to keep going. Like keep this momentum going. Let's make change. But what does that have to do with our movie, my dear? (laughs) (laughs) Into that world, 1955, which... I didn't get to throw this in. That's the year we obviously we talked about James Dean dying and Emmett mm-hmm. Till dying, but Shemp Howard, Shemp yeah. from the Three Stooges, yep. and Albert Einstein died that year. Oh. And the new word of 1955 that was added to the OED was was artificial intelligence. Oh, that's that's very creepy and very cyclical, isn't so, it? So there's a 45. I just found it to be like I didn't intend when we did. Uh, this movie, I wasn't thinking about 1955 and all the events that transpired and how they would reflect now. It just was a nice, I'll say nice, it was a sad coincidence that I just wanted to take a minute to talk about and reflect on. But into that world of 1955, this movie comes out. Yeah. 
And this is what we're watching this week. Uh, we are obviously watching it on, uh, um, I'm sure, the Criterion Collection. I don't own the Criterion Blu-ray, Really? Um, for the longest time, it was crazy, like 40 bucks or some shit like that. But I think it's streaming on Prime for free, okay. actually. So that's what we'll be doing. I do need to I do need to break down and buy this movie. I, I think it's really good. Now's the part of the podcast where Josh shows me an original poster of the film, and I try to discern some sort of meaning out of it. Uh, I hate posters from this era. Why? Because they're, they're huge? They're, no, I don't mind the size. They just... Eh, I don't like the, the look of them. Okay. So, but the, uh, the tagline was the scenes the story the stars but above all the suspense dun 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 uh, let me see let me see it's one of the, yeah it's a very 50s like painted on yeah okay so this morning we were married and you, now you think I'm going to kiss you hold you call you my wife okay the night of the hunter so I'm going to say it's about a guy who is leading a double life of like a nice guy getting married and then at night he's a murderer the night of the hunter okay let's see how close you are okay i'm excited i'm excited actually you know what i'm excited to watch the movie with your mom yeah because i think your mom will really like this movie too she will too so she likes older movies let's do it to it let's go night of the hunter mind the doors Now, what's it to be, Lord? Another widow? How many has it been? Six? Twelve? I just remember. You say the word, Lord. I'm on my way. You always send me money to go forth and preach your word. A widow with a little wad of bills hid away in a sugar bowl. Lord, I am tired. Sometimes I wonder if you really understand. Not that you mind the killings. Your book is full of killings. But there are things you do hate, Lord. Perfume-smelling things. Lacy things. Things with curly hair. Welcome back from watching Night of the Hunter. That was, uh... The end of our uh, Father's Day. Yeah? Month. Yeah? That was a very anxious movie. <laughs> that's, that's the only way I can describe that movie. It wasn't like, oh, I'm biting my nails. It was like, oh, I just feel so uncomfortable this whole time. Why is he holding her? Why is he touching that girl? Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why it hasn't been remade yet. We talked about that a little bit. And the thing is, like, it's based on a book. So it seems like it would be ripe to be remade. There's a lot of space there to kind of like uh, the other I Walk With a Zombie there's a lot that nowadays we can go a little bit further and uh, go dig a little bit deeper than kind of the surface well, stuff that they talk there's about. There's not a I Walked With a Zombie remake. I know there isn't, but when we watched that, we said there should be because there's it's a great storyline. They didn't dig deep enough. Now we can. I mean, and I, I get the same kind of thing with Night of the Hunter. There's a good storyline. We just need to go a little bit deeper. I guess every other version of Jane Eyre would be a <laughs> would be uh, Night of the Zombie remake of I Walked with a Zombie. I suppose maybe so, that's why. I, it, but this one, I felt the same thing. This isn't a Jane Eyre thing. Do you want to give us a breakdown of this movie? Okay, so there's kind of these two things that happen at at once, or whatever. There's a man who robs a bank and hides the money in his daughter's doll, and right before he goes to the police. He tells his children to swear that they'll never tell what's inside the doll. Peter Graves. Peter, yeah. And then when he's in jail, he he won't tell where, and he's going to be hanged because I guess somebody got killed during the robbery. And his cellmate gets out of prison and goes to his widow and tries to say that he knows all about the money. And 
it's just awful. I kind of went off the rails there. How does IMDb sum this up? Because it's a lot. It's basically about a con man trying to get the money from his cellmates. A religious fanatic marries a oh, yeah, widow left that whole thing out. Whose young children are reluctant to tell him where their real dad hid ten grand he'd stolen in a robbery. What I wanted to have happen. Here's why this movie. I think why I liked this movie, even though it was very anxiety-inducing. I wanted the movie to end with this kind of happily ever after where, you know, he's with the, uh, what's her name, played by the silent film actress. Lillian Gish. Yeah, he's with he's with Lillian Gish's character, and she kind of is uh, a foster home before we had a foster care system, and the kids are being really well taken care of, and I really wanted him to turn the 10 grand over to her. And, you know, because she deserved it, right? Like, she is taking in all these kids, and now she has money, and she's able to take care of them more. Not under the movie code. But that's not what happens. Johnny Law has to get his money. Yeah, they get the money back. Um, But I think that actually was a little more realistic, wasn't it? The kid has a real PTSD moment, breakdown, where he kind of blurs the line between what he saw when he was younger with his father, all the trauma he's been through, and now watching it again. So let me let me walk through the plot of this movie. Okay. Uh, let's see if I can do it a little succinctly. To More succinct. Up. So this is a film essentially about Harry Powell, who's based on a real-life serial killer named Harry Powers, who was in real life hanged in the Moundsville Penitentiary. For having a bunch of... Um, Marrying women and taking their money kind well, of a thing. Well, he was called the Lonely Hearts Killer. And the serial killer who Mitchum's character is based on was from Holland. And he moved to America. And then he ended up settling in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say in like Clarksburg, the Clarksburg area. Mm-hmm. And he would essentially put out these Lonely Hearts letters and meet people, like meet widows through like newspapers. Oh, like, uh, and, like yeah. Uh, Singles ads. Yeah. And Back when those were he thing. would write to them and be like, I love you, come visit me. And then when they would show up, he would murder them and take their money. How lazy. And, and bury them in a ditch. And come to I me. Think I don't want to go anywhere. To die. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah, right. You come to me. Um, Again, saying that it was so much easier to get away with shit. But he <laughs> went by the alias Cornelius O. Pearson when he would write. And he got caught eventually when he invited Astra Iker. A widowed mother of three residing in Park Ridge, Illinois. She She came to his house on June 23rd, 1931. And she got a letter. Like, she came to visit. And then her family got a letter saying that she decided to stay. um, And wanted the kids to come and visit. And when, basically, like, he tried to rob her bank account. And they found out the signature was forged. Mm-hmm. And then he, they eventually found him and dug up the bodies. And he had strangled the mom and the two girls. Oh, and he beat man. the boy's head in with something heavy. Oh, my God. Like, he was a legit serial killer. Yeah. Like, he had just been murdering these, like, widows for their money. Oh, my God. Okay, well, that's fun. Yep. They call him the Lonely Hearts Killer. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. But... Anyway, <laughs> this movie's based on fact. Yeah. So, Ron Richards' based. character is... And a, I think it says it at the beginning, yeah. doesn't it? This is based no, on I don't a, think so. I don't think it has a disclaimer saying it's based on a true story. I thought it did. Oh, okay. But I think at the beginning of the movie I said, hey, this is based on a true story. That might be where I get it from, yeah. That so, makes sense. Robert Richard's character is Harry Powell, and as opposed to Harry Powers. And he wears all black. He's a preacher. He carries a switchblade. He has love and hate tattooed on his knuckles. Yeah. And the first time we see him, he talks about, like, how God hates women. Yeah. He hates lacy things and perfume-smelling things. And God is talking to him. And they even show. At a burlesque show telling him that he needs to murder a dancer. And he's like, I can't. There's too many people here. And then he, you know, before that, he had a whole conversation with, like, God in the car that he stole Mm -hmm. about... All the widows he's killed. Yeah, I think he said twenty five. Yeah, and he ends up sharing a jail cell with Peter Graves, who has robbed a who bank. Is going to be executed for killing two people in a bank robbery. And, and his whole thing is Peter Graves has that money, and he's never told where it is. Yeah. Well, and Peter Graves' whole thing is that he's just so tired of the banks always winning, and that you know little children are 
you know, having to walk around and be poor and live on scraps because, like, the banks always have money, you know? And so yeah. there's kind of this twisted self-righteousness in his, in his head for why he took the money. And then it kind of adds that layer of sadness when his children end up being those kind of kids. I would say the one thing this movie, it probably, when it first came out, you probably could tell. But in hindsight, in 2020 watching it, it does not do a very good job of, mm-hmm. is setting it up to tell you that it happens in the past in the Great Depression. Well, yeah, I guess that's just implied. It, yeah. Maybe if we had watched it in a... You know, more of the time when it first came out, it would just be implied. I'm sure when it first came out, people were like, oh, shit. Like, judging from the clothes. <laughs> That's what I mean. The, the old, old cars. But fun fact, I'm from West Virginia where this movie takes place. It yeah. wasn't really shot here, but it takes place here. That's how people lived still to this day mm-hmm. in a lot of places in the state. Yeah. So. I yeah, know. Of, of him being like, uh, you know, there's a depression on. It's like, motherfucker, it's always a depression in West Virginia. I am one generation removed from the like uh, family who just taken a kid from the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like somebody, not officially adopt them, but that they you raised them. You went them. from living on your back porch to like just kind of hanging out in the house. Well, or yeah, or like you know, at church, there's a, mo- a mother that isn't. Like, she just is des- destitute, and so one of the women of the church takes the baby. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you're still involved in life, but you're you know that's mama and that's yeah. you whatever. Like it was so common, and that was something I really had to wrap my brain around when I started meeting extended family in West Virginia. Is like, well, you know, we're related, but not really. And like, uh, okay, then this person is oh, then the the generation back they did the same thing, and then it's like oh, okay, it was yeah, that's how it always is here. Yeah. Yeah. West Virginia. It's it's not like anywhere else in the country that I've ever been to. Oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but Robert Mitchum, uh, Harry Powell, essentially comes to Moundsville, West Virginia, which is funny because he gets out of the penitentiary mm-hmm. in the movie and then travels by train. Where does the train? To Moundsville. Yeah. But I'm like, the penitentiary's in Moundsville. Oh, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so I don't know where they... Te- they said they're in Moundsville, but they... Couldn't have been if he went by train? I don't know. But anyway, he shows up in their little town. Mm-hmm. He, because he's a preacher, everyone falls in love with him. He woos Shelly Winters, who's the kid's mom, yeah. who's married to Peter Graves. He marries her. But he still has this crazy religious undertone of no, you know, the only reason to lie with somebody is to have children. And mm-hmm. so he kind of mind fucks her he, on that. He's a religious psychopath. Yeah. So he beats her, he beats the kids. He. Well, not only does he beat her, but he turns her into, like, his puppet in mm-hmm. a way. Like, she wants to please him. And so she invents testimony and, and yeah. And she sides with Testament him against the kids. Testament is what it's called, yeah. And then, you know, so the kids are, and he also kind of starts to turn the little girl Pearl against. So it's the boy. Because she's so young. It's the boy. The older the older sibling against again, just like in everyone frailty. else in his family. And that is a terrifying situation, right? Yeah. And this movie did... Kind of. Do you see now the connections between? Oh, for sure. How it uh, lent itself to frailty. Frailty, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Harry Powell kills Shelley Winters. The mom cuts her throat, puts her in the river, and probably the craziest shot of the entire movie, where she's floating in the water, tied to tied the, to the car. The car. Yeah, it's a very beautiful shot, but it's creepy as hell. You know, Robert Mitchum hated Shelly Winters. Why? They just didn't get along? And they didn't get along, and whenever he found out he was starring in it, because he was keen to be in this movie, and they said Shelly Winters was going to play the mom. Is that part he, of why he was such an asshole? He said, and I'm quoting him all here, Oh, man. She looks and sounds as much like a West Virginia girl as I do. The only part she'll do convincingly is float in the water with her throat cut. Oh, shit. And then he went on to say, uh, jokingly, that... That whenever they were filming that scene, yeah, of, because that was a on the underwater scene yeah, or the that murder was not scene. Winters. That was like yeah, that was like a mannequin. Yeah, but he was like, maybe we should do it like do it with her for real. Just cut her throat. And put ha, her ha, there. Ha, ha, ha. So they yeah. uh, they did not get along. Well, apparently he was a big ass on set. Weren't you saying that at the top? He drank a lot. Yeah, he always drank a lot. Yeah, unprofessional, like Marvin. Douche. So the kids go on the run. They go down the river and they end up with Lily and Gish somewhere around Parkersburg. I think that's what we figured out. And then 
it just turns into he shows up and he wants the kids back because he found out that the money is in Pearl's doll. Mm -hmm. And there's a showdown between Lily and Gish, who is a good Christian woman. And a gun. And Harry Powell, who's an evil Christian man. Yeah. And she just takes in, you know, unwanted children off the streets because that was something that happened a lot. And that's kind of, I think, the theme of this movie in a lot of ways. Is to take kids in off the street. (laughs) I mean, that's something we should do more often. (laughs) But I think this movie is about the good and evil applications of Christianity. Okay. The main character, the evil character, right? Harry Powell, Robert Mm -hmm. Mitchum. Yeah. He is... Evil Christianity. Evil and terrifying and everything that is bad about religion. He prophesizes, he's... He threatens people, he browbeats people. He lies. Um, Very manipulative. He gets everyone on his side. He's like a a snake oil salesman. Mm -hmm. He's just... Ugh, right? Yeah. He's in it for the money. He's not in it for anything. God talks directly to him. Yeah. He could speak for God, right? Crazy man. And then on the other end of the spectrum... You have the poor character of Lillian Gish, who... Walking the walk. She, like, takes care of these kids, not expecting any reward. When they're bad, she just kind of, you know, they, she recognizes that they just want love and they just want attention. And what can they expect when they were born into these circumstances sort of a thing. And she really does love and dote on them. Um and you can, as the movie kind of ends, you see, like, they are happy together. All of them, they are their own little family. And of course, good triumphs over evil. But I, I think it's the different Except applications. Except the still got their money back. <laughs> well, between the two, and I think I told you during we were watching the movie that it wouldn't be surprising to me if the main characters from The Stand, Stephen King's The Stand, kind of came from this movie. Like I'm trying to remember the the lady who ran the good camp in The Stand, the black lady who organized everything. But oh, she's kind I'd of like Lily and Gish. And then Randall Flagg is very much like Robert Mitchum. Yeah. And I don't know, to me, like watching this movie, it just seems like a clash between how things are interpreted in the Bible. They how two people can look at the same thing well and I, see totally different. I think like it's how two people can take the same text and one person can be like, I'm gonna help people. Right. That's the, what yeah, I'm saying. And the other person be like, I'm gonna drive this train I'm going to use this to hurt people versus I'm going to use this to help people yeah that's what I'm saying that's what I'm putting out I'm picking up what you're putting down thanks (laughs) this was Charles Lawton's only movie he ever directed that's what you were saying now why is that Uh, well this movie got not great reviews okay and I'm trying to remember the uh, Stanley Cortez who's the cinematographer on this, also did The Magnificent Ambersons. Mm -hmm. And he said later in his career, the only two directors he ever worked with that understood the possibility and use of light in film were Orson Welles and Charles Lawton. That's a high compliment. This movie got not great reviews. It it did eh, at the box office, but in Charles Lawton, that coupled with his love of directing stage, he would rather have been working in the stage anyway. Okay. So he kind of just did that instead. But... He apparently got along on set with the kid that played John, but not with Pearl. <laughs> Pearl. <laughs> um, yeah, Pearl. So some of the times when you see her crying, it was because they had he had yelled at her. Oh. And then they just kept filming and got her reaction. And they're like, okay, we'll just cut that in. Wow, that's before, I guess, the you know, child actor laws and whatnot. Right. <laughs> Uh, okay. Lillian Gish asked Lawton why he wanted her in the movie. And he said, when I first went to the movies, they used to sit in their seats straight and lean forward. Now they slump down with their head back, eating popcorn, and I want to give them something to set up for. She definitely still has that film star quality. You don't meet her until in the last act of the, of the film. Um, and I didn't, you know, there's a few other elderly people you know her age that you meet before you meet her character and as soon as i saw her on screen i went oh yeah she used to be a film star for sure she still has that look Mm -hmm. she's she has it as they say 
every time I watch this movie, I want to find things in West Virginia in it, mm-hmm. but there's not a whole lot shot in West Virginia. Yeah. It's mostly shot on stages to give it that like specific look that Lawton was going for. Um, down to the point where like the backgrounds are, a lot of them are fake. Sorry. Yeah. But it is what it is. Like all of the shots in this movie where you see um, the distance shots. Mm-hmm. Those are. Mitchum riding on the horse. That's actually a little person on a pony. To, make, <laughs> to, the, save to make the sky and stuff seem bigger. Because it's so vast here in West Virginia. True. I will give you one last piece of trivia before What's... we move on. What's you know that? Who, you know who they wanted and offered the part of Harry Powell to? Who? Gary Cooper. He said no thanks? He was like, nah. Nah, man, I'm good. This is going to ruin my career because it's too evil. Which is what they it, did with Mitchum. Like, it, He's an evil guy. There's a reason at the end of this movie why Mitchum's character suddenly turns cowardly and kind of cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Be- and Lillian Gish was not for that. She was like, no, like he, he's evil to a point. And suddenly like, I shoot a gun at him and he's like a cartoon character. Yeah. And it was because Lawton was... He was worried he was going to be seen as... He was like... He was Lawton such a good actor. And Mitchum were worried that he would Mitchum's career would never recover from being that villainous. Oh. Like, you're looking at a time period leading up to, what was it, The Cowboys? Yeah. In the, the movie The Cowboys, which is in the 60s, late 60s, Bruce Stern shoots John Wayne in the back, and he didn't work for like three years. Because it was, was cowardly. Because everyone, like, most people that went to movies were like, Nah, we don't want to see him in shit. He killed John Wayne. Whatever. I mean, that, but, but like, people used to carry those prejudices into the box office, right? Yeah. It would hold your last movie against you. So that's why he's like a cartoony kind of yellow, screaming lunatic at the end of the movie because that's less than intimidating than like a cold, calculating. Well, it wasn't a good choice. I said Lillian Gish on that. Yeah, me too. I think that's why the movie kind of falls apart at the end slightly. But yeah, I think it's a good movie. I don't think it follows the Arkov formula, but I think this was before Arkov's time even, right? 1955? Oh, yeah. So there's not a whole lot of action. Well, he would have been working, but he wouldn't have had it. He, he, wouldn't have had, he wouldn't have formulated this. There was a lot of action. It was kind of a revolutionary idea, I think. A serial killer. It's an the way it prayed. American serial killer movie. There is killing. The opening shot, there's a dead body as much as there can be. Um, I think it definitely checks oratory. Oh, yeah. Oratory, the love-hate thing. Cain and Abel. Fantasy, uh, fornication, absolutely not. Except for one very 1955 strip dance <laughs> kind yeah. of a burlesque thing uh i do have to uh i do want to share something that i told with the listeners that i told you while we were watching it what's up uh, they didn't shoot it there however mm. there's a point when they get married like he marries shelly winters in the film yeah and he tells john the boy he's like we're off to sisterville with sistersville oh yeah uh which is five miles from my hometown mm-hmm. and the hotel they would have undoubtedly stayed at would have been the Wells Inn, which is where my parents had their honeymoon Ooh. and where I have my senior prom. How hot. <laughs> so this movie has a very weird, like, I like it a lot because I have such a weird hometown A weird connection, connection to, it. to it. It's kind of cute, though. I've never seen another movie reference so close to where I live before. That is kind of fun. It's the end of the month, so we need to rank these movies. Yep, I got, uh, I got you a list here. Okay. Oh, so, I, I have it written down, too, so okay. we, I don't think I did it in order, though. Uh, so we've got The Mist, Stepfather, Frailty, Train to Busan, and Night of the Hunter, right? Yep. Um, the Mist, Frailty, Stepfather 2, Train to Busan. Yep. I almost had it in the right order. I had... Okay. I will put them like this, because I already... I, I came prepared, so my last... Will be uh, number five is the stepfather. It was fun, but it wasn't are, exactly a good movie. We're in agreement on that. Uh, number four, Night of the Hunter, just because it's old and slow. I think the same. I look. I look at it the same way. My kids watch eighties movies; they're too slow. Uh, for number three, The Mist, two, Frailty, and one was Train to Busan. I really liked that. That uh, it was scary, but it had a really interesting plot line, and I really, I really, really liked it. What is your list? And I went back and forth about how I was going to do this. But I think the only one that I was clearly 
that was easy was five was Stepfather two. Yeah, it was fun, but it clearly deserves to be in that five spot. Uh, for four, I went uh, Frailty. Okay, I really liked it a lot, but I had such an uncomfortable time watching it with you. <laughs> and I think it it affected my. Watch you did that to time. yourself, bro. True. Three would be the mist. Okay. I loved the shit out of the mist, but... Yeah, we're in agreement on that one, too. Uh, I get to give number two to Night of the Hunter. Okay. It had such a... I think it's just a, such a beautifully shot movie. Like, the camera work and the lighting. You would. And it references where I have my prom. Yeah. I mean, I kind of showed some love. And one was Train to Busan. Oh, cool. so much fun we with had Train to Busan. five, three, and one together. Interesting. That was fun. So, that... Brings our frailty was hard to watch, <laughs> but I think like but I think that would be only like for me. You know what I mean? Like no. maybe my blood sister. I do a thing when I watch movies with people. If they seem like they're not having a good time, then I'm not having a good time. Oh, because I feel like I'm responsible for you not having a good time. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I guess. I guess like it was a really good movie. I, I but I'm just saying. I think it won't be uncomfortable for the general population. You know what I mean? Like. I think it just affected me in a weird way. I would and maybe... say that it is arguably the darkest film that we watched all month. Oh, yeah. For and sure. That includes the ending to The Mist. <laughs> yeah, this is a dark ass end. Okay, what are we doing uh, next month? So next month, wow, we're in July already. Yeah. So on. what are we doing for July? This month has both simultaneously sped by and creeped. Yeah. Depending on the day. Um well, I'm not going to lie. Time we had originally talked about doing uh, time travel horror movies. Yes. And that was something that we were planning on doing, and we were ramping up to do that. But uh, in, in light of recent events in our country with uh We'll start with Breonna Taylor, and then George Floyd, Amon Arbery. And Amon Arbery. Uh, we're going to table time travel horror, and we're going to do four weeks of... The George Romero zombie films. The Dawn, uh, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and Land of the Dead. Okay. Because I feel like those are very important to watch that right would be, now. Okay. I don't know the connection, but okay, that's fine. Well then, I hope you've enjoyed uh, Father's Day month, casual viewer and listener. Yeah. We I, will... Uh, I just want to say, on a personal note, two things. One, to my dad. I love you. You're pretty great. Yeah, he's a pretty good guy. Uh, and to Cindy's dad, fuck you. <laughs> I've never met you, nor will I. He, uh, he was something else. Is something I don't know if he's I don't know if he's alive or not. I don't know. You get a lot more angry uh, at him than than I don't know. I do. I guess you know, outside versus like eh, I gotta I'm get over it. Angry at the situation. Like, yeah, everyone deserves to have a parent or parents that give a shit about you. Yeah. So until next week, I'm Cindy. And I'm Josh. We do that backwards. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm still his girlfriend.